Good morning and welcome to Wavemakers on WMNF, a weekly conversation with people making a difference in the Tampa Bay region. I'm Janet. And I'm Tom calling in from COVID isolation. He's calling in from COVID isolation. And uh, answering the phones for us today is the saddest Lightning fan, John Dunn. He is actually wearing his 2020 Lightning Champs shirt today. So if you want to call in and talk to him about uh, um, hockey, uh, go ahead and give us a call at 813-239-9663. And you'll also be able to join our conversation today. You can also email us at dj at wmnf.org or text us at 813 Today's guest has been making waves in the Tampa Bay area for, for decades. William March has been reporting on local, state, and national politics for more than 40 years, first at the Tampa Tribune and now for the Tampa Bay Times. He regularly is a guest on this and other local news stations, offering his insights and expertise. Thanks for being with us, Wendy. Hey, Janet. Glad to be here. Uh, Wendy, as his friends call him, is just a... Uh, just a week after the end of the qualifying period in Florida for the 2022 midterm elections, that means we are now know what our ballots will look like for the primaries in August, and the ballot for the general election in November is coming into focus. The stakes this election are incredibly high, with Democrats hoping to hold on to their majority in Congress and Republicans aiming to take control of both chambers. Florida will play a pivotal role in that. The Sunshine State gained a congressional seat based on the last census members, and Florida's Republican Governor Ron DeSantis pushed through new congressional maps for the state that all but guarantee adding four new Republicans to the House of Representatives. The website 538 said this about Florida's congressional maps. This is about as big a Republican bias as Florida's congressional map could have, and darn close to the most egregiously partisan map in the country. Meanwhile, during these few months, while they still have a majority, the House is holding hearings into the January 6th attack on the Capitol and laying out their case against Donald Trump. They're hoping the courts will hold him accountable for attempting to block Joe Biden from becoming president after he was duly elected by America vo American voters. Despite the overwhelming evidence in the most recent national primaries, candidates endorsed by Trump fared well. And Trump continues to see tease that he plans to run for... Um, president in 2024. Ron DeSantis also appears to be setting himself up for a presidential run, either in 2024 or 2028. DeSantis, a little-known congressman who was catapulted into the governor's mansion on the strength of Trump's endorsement, borrows heavily from the Trump playbook, questioning the legitimacy of Biden's presidency, attacking the media, railing against Biden's immigration policies, and pushing unfounded concerns about critical race theory in Florida schools, where it's not even taught. But before we get, let's start with the most recent news, which is the uh, Supreme Court decisions on Roe and on um, guns. So we had the Supreme Court make a decision um, that basically uh, limited the rights of blue states to regulate guns, and they made a decision to expand the rights of red states to regulate uh, abortion, which means that state legislative races are more important than ever in this upcoming um, midterm election. And in fact, um, Joe Biden, when he gave his response to the country ab about the Supreme Court decision on Roe, said Roe is on the ballot in November and encouraged people to get out and vote. So, Wendy, what, what do you think? I know this is all speculation at this point, but 
Is it going to move the needle? Will these decisions by the Supreme Court and this urging by Democrats actually make a difference in November? It, I'm pretty sure it will make some difference, Janet. The question is how much. Uh, the question is whether it will be enough of a difference to overcome what everybody has been seeing as, as a likely Republican wave coming. Uh, and there's, there's very little hard evidence that I've seen since the Roe decision and since the decision on guns to really answer that question. A couple of small data points, not particularly convincing, um, there's a, a polling company in North Carolina. It's a Democratic-oriented company, but it does fairly respectable polling. Has polled in a couple of congressional districts, not in Florida. Uh, I think one was in Wisconsin. And they say they're detecting some significant movement toward Democrats, at least in those districts where they've polled. Uh, Charlie Crist, um, candidate, Democratic candidate for governor, uh, said he got a bump in small-dollar donations immediately after the Roe decision. Now, like I said, small data points, mm -hmm. not enough to be convincing. Uh, it makes intuitive sense that the decisions will motivate and energize some Democrats. The question is how many who wouldn't otherwise vote will be energized. Yeah, Wendy, I've heard some speculation among political uh, observers that uh, there are so, the Democrats already have, so many of the suburban white voters who they are, uh, you know, very focused on getting because they tend to go back and forth depending on who the candidate is, that there's not going to be that significant <coughs> a difference. What do you think about that idea? Well, that's, that's entirely possible. The battle for years uh, between the two parties, one of the chief demographic groups they focused on is suburban women. And suburban women turning against Donald Trump was cited by some analysts as one of the main reasons that Trump lost in 2020. Um, but if there is a demographic group that could be affected by decisions like the Roe decision, I would guess that suburban women are, are one of them. Uh, uh, but again, how many of those people would be moved from their current position by this? That's an open question that I haven't seen data to answer. And I'm curious to hear from you, um, WMNF listeners, you're out there. Give us a call, 813-239-9663, or send us an email at dj at wmnf.org. I know that um, the, the Supreme Court decision on Roe has just really um, rocked the worlds of a lot of people. There were a lot of protests over the weekend. And what do you think? Is this going to make a difference? Is this, is this going to light the fire that will make a difference um, with the Democrats? Or um, is it impossible given just gerrymandering and where we're at with that and how districts are drawn. Um, we're, we're in a position now where um, Florida has uh, is all but guaranteed to give four new seats to um, Republicans um, in the U.S. House of Representatives, which, um, you know, we're, there's concern about among Democrats of losing their majority in Congress. Um, how did we end up here, Wendy? Let's just talk briefly about redistricting and gerrymandering and how we ended up in this position because the Florida legislature originally drew some maps that were fairly uh, not controversial, but then, of course, um, Governor DeSantis um, rejected those and drew his own maps that gave that advantage to Republicans. How, how did we end up here, and what's the status of that? Can you talk about that, Wendy? Well, the status is that the map you talked about that was drawn by, by Ron DeSantis and basically 
crammed down the throats of the legislature was the one that was enacted for congressional districts. Uh, the Senate and the House, the state Senate and the state House, had a freer hand in drawing their own districts, uh, and they weren't as ruthlessly gerrymandered as the congressional map is. Uh, but essentially, Republicans have controlled both houses of the state legislature since the late 1990s. I think 1997 or 98 was the last year that Democrats had a majority in either um, in either house of the legislature. Uh, and control of the legislature means control of the district lines. Uh, one of the last things that Democrats did when they lost control of the legislature in the 1990s was they failed to pass a leg legislation for a bipartisan independent redistricting commission. Mm -hmm. So since then, um, uh, or what that meant was that our, our legislature continued to draw the district lines in, uh, in a partisan fashion, uh, and now Republicans control that, and they will for the foreseeable future. There is no chance that Democrats will take a majority in either house of the legislature in this election. Fentress Driscoll of Tampa, who is the Democratic leader in the House, has told me um, openly that her goal is simply to hold the seats that the Democrats now have in the state house. Um, I haven't spoken to the incoming Senate leader about that, but my guess is they'd like to, they, they would consider that pretty close to the same goal. Well, let's keep talking then about the legislature because um, w with these Supreme Court decisions, again, this is turning these two issues, huge issues, over to the state. So what's next on these two issues and then what other issues might come up? So with abortion and, and um, gun regulations, what are we likely to see from um, a, a Republican-led legislature in Florida? Well, before I answer that, Janet, what I'd like, one thing I'd like to say is in, in my career as a political reporter, there has never been a time that was a better illustration of the fact that it's the down-ballot levels of government the state legislatures, the county commissioners, and so on, who have the most effect on your life out there. Mm -hmm. Everybody's preoccupied with the presidential race, the Senate races, the governor's race. The people who affect your life most directly and what happens in your life are the state legislatures, the down, the down ballot races that nobody pays much attention to. Mm -hmm. As to what could be next, there are some hints. Uh, some of them are from Clarence Thomas's a concurring opinion uh, in the in the abortion decision, um, he listed a series of past Supreme Court decisions that he said could be vulnerable under the same logic as the abortion, the Roe versus Wade decision, and and they included uh, gay marriage, which uh, was legalized in this country as a result of of a Supreme Court decision. Mm -hmm. Uh, they even included uh, the right to buy contraceptives, uh, the, the right of consenting adults to perform what sex acts they wish in their own homes. Those are all results of Supreme Court decisions that Thomas said could be vulnerable. Now, a couple of the other... Well, he did not say interracial marriage, interestingly. No, he didn't bring that up. And, of course, that's been a talking point used by Democrats against Thomas, who's married to a white woman. 
Uh, but that also is a result of a Supreme Court decision, Loving versus Virginia, mm-hmm. which is based on, I think, and a legal scholar out there might tell me I'm wrong about this, but I think it's based on the same legal theory that Thomas said is flawed, the substantive due process theory. Right. So, and, and in Florida, there are obvious consequences that could come. First of all, on the, the gun rights decision, our legislature um, has already promised um, that they will consider an open carry bill in the coming session. Uh, Ron DeSantis, the gov- Governor DeSantis, has already promised more restrictions on abortion in addition to those already passed, including the post-15-week ban that's that's been passed and is now subject to a court decision. And one thing that most people forget... Florida actually has on its books a law and in its constitution a clause prohibiting same-sex marriage. Hmm. Uh, The constitution defines marriage as a union of one man and one woman and says no other kind of union shall be recognized as marriage. And there is a statute on the books that enacts that constitutional clause. It's gone unenforced, of course, because of the Supreme Court decision that allowed same-sex marriage. Um, If that decision, that Supreme Court decision, were overturned, there'd be nothing to stop Florida's constitutional and statutory prohibitions on gay marriage from being enforced. But, you know, Wendy, those kinds of uh, decisions are probably still a few years away. And what uh, Florida voters might be focusing on here is the possibility that uh, abortion restrictions could become even tighter in Florida. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, talk of a special session, perhaps. I mean, they have the majority in both chambers and a governor ready to sign legislation that would ban abortion completely. Some... And they're not doing it because do you think that's because they're a little bit afraid of what this monster that they have unleashed could do to them? Absolutely. There have been calls from some hardliners, hardline um, uh, anti-abortion figures in the legislature for a special session to enact even stricter abortion regulations, possibly an outright total ban. Uh, But no Republicans, I think, want to do that before the November election. Mm -hmm. To the extent that this decision is going to rile up Democrats, get them to the polls, that would only make it worse. Uh, and I suspect that that they that they won't want to do it uh, at this time. Maybe wait till next session after the gubernatorial election. Yeah. So let's talk about that a little bit. So after the Roe decision came down, Charlie Crist, um, who is running for uh, the Democratic nomination for governor, and um, is likely to win that nomination and be facing um, Ron DeSantis in November. Um, called for impeaching Gorsuch and um, Kavanaugh, saying that they lied to Congress. Um, How does that action and what's happening with DeSantis set up that potential matchup in November? Is DeSantis, does he need to modulate his rhetoric on abortion because he's facing that race in November? Well, I think he doesn't want to do anything that would stir his opposition any more than it's already been stirred, uh, as we said a moment ago talking about the special session. Uh, Charlie Crist, meanwhile, uh, has sort of the the opposite problem. 
he in the past has been characterized, at least by his opponents, as being ambivalent on the issue of abortion rights. Now, he has, in terms of his actual legislative actions, bills that he's signed or vetoed and what he's voted on, he's been pretty pretty uh, consistently pro-choice. Mm-hmm. But he's used the word pro-life to describe himself, and in Charlie, when Charlie Crist says this, uh, he doesn't mean pro-life in terms necessarily of opposed to abortion rights. He just means, well, I'm in favor of life. And he says, everybody should be. I hope everybody is in favor of life. Uh, nonetheless, he has also appointed conservative justices to the state Supreme Court when he was governor. Hmm. And all of this gives his opponents, particularly Nikki Freed, his opponent in the Democratic primary for governor, gives them some ammunition to throw at him uh, to claim that he's not sincerely pro-choice, that he's not sincerely in favor of abortion rights. So it's for that reason, that's probably part of the explanation as to why Christ immediately out of the gate after the Roe versus Wade decision came out and took a very hard line, mm-hmm. impeach Kavanaugh and Gorsuch. So I think what that shows is that, that Christ, at least through the primary against Nikki Freed, is going to be out there uh, on the cutting edge in terms of saying you know, that Democrats should react strongly. Well, and interestingly, Take he's a stronger. Sorry, he, Take a stronger stand than Joe Biden. Yes, yeah. he's taking a stronger stand in Joe Biden. So interestingly, he's aligning himself with the progressive wing of the Democratic Party that are calling for stronger action, um, expanding the court um, uh, or it, doing an impeachment or, or whatever that they, they need to do. So I, it's interesting that he's, he's taking that turn. He's tacking to the, to the left, really. Right. And, you know, Biden's, Biden's answer is go out and vote. Now, really, when it comes down to it, to the nitty-gritty of politics, that probably is the best single answer. If you're a Democrat and want to respond to this, you better just go out and vote. Biden has already said, has already taken a stance, took it during the campaign, I believe, against expanding the Supreme Court. Proposals such as uh, putting abortion clinics on federal property, uh, such as military bases, Things like that aren't likely to fly without strong Democratic majorities in Congress. Biden has a long history as a legislator. He thinks about what legislation can do um, rather than what some kind of authoritarian executive action can do. Uh, and that's frustrating to some Democrats. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to WMNF Tampa. I'm Janet Sherberger, and on the, the line calling from his sickbed is my co-host Tom Sherberger, and in the studio with us today is reporter um, Wendy March, and we are talking about the midterm elections in light of the Roe decision and the gun decision um, from the Supreme Court and what's at stake. There's so much at stake in these um, upcoming midterm elections. If you have any thoughts on, on the Supreme Court decision, or the governor's race and what's hap- what's at stake in November, please give us a call, 813-239-9663, or you can, just send, you can send us an email at dj at wmnf.org. That's 813-239-9663, dj at wmnf.org. And tell us what you think. Uh, what, what do you expect to happen in the midterm elections? Do you think it's going to make a difference? Do you think that there's a way out of this, or are we just headed down the slippery slope Slope towards um, a a redder and redder country, um, and really, in a way, being um, 
controlled by a minority. Um, the, the, the major decisions in the country are being made by a minority. I think it's the, um, the Supreme Court justices that we have now, um, who, who ruled on this were uh, appointed by presidents who did not have a, um, majority, um, of votes. They did not have the popular vote when they were elected. Is that, am I characterizing that correctly, Wendy? Pretty close. The, um, um, the last Republican president to win the popular vote, to take office after winning the popular vote, was George H.W. Bush. Uh, now, George W. Bush, his son, won the popular vote in his re-election. Um, but, of course, W. Bush and Trump both lost the popular vote uh, when they t- in the elections in which they took office. Uh, and Trump, of course, lost the popular vote again in 2020. So that's a really good point, Janet, is that Republicans are advancing an agenda that is not supported by a majority of voters, according to the polls, which does suggest that perhaps they're overreaching a little bit. But that depends on whether the Democrats have the political will and skill to to advance their agenda. So I'm curious if we we had talked about some of the uh, races now that are going to be on the ballot. Um, so I was wondering if we could talk about one of them, which is the new congressional district, congressional district 15, where you really don't even have very many Democrats to choose from. That's Laurel Lee's race, or Laurel Lee's in that that that's the newly drawn seat. That's Correct. The, yes. That is yes. That is the race and, and, of Laurel Lee. I, I don't know, but that's sort of a Pasco North Hillsboro. District, right? Well, I think uh, it has more Hillsborough voters in it than either of the other two counties. It also extends up into Zephyr. It's, it's in northeastern Hillsborough County. It extends up and takes in most of Zephyr Hills, and then it goes east and takes in about half of Lakeland. Uh, but it, it might be a good test. And, and Tom, the question you asked earlier about uh, suburban women voters, um, this district, and, and you know whether what their motivation will be, this district could be a good test of that question. Now, I said that that one reason Trump lost was suburban women voters turned against him. Well, it looked like they were turning against Biden. It has looked like that, and the question is whether the the Roe decision, the gun decision, will change that and bring those voters back to the Democratic side. Or and they've been moving away from Biden because of the economy, right? Because of inflation, gas prices, uh, and, and I guess to some extent because of code restrictions. Now, District if that 15, continues, will, will that, will that um, overwhelm uh, the Democratic push on abortion and guns? Or, or will the abortion decision anger those same suburban women voters? Um, it's it's an open question. I mean, you you raised a good question, and I don't have I have not seen data that could answer it. Um, but to get back to District 15, it's got a lot of those kinds of voters in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not really an urban district. The closest it comes mm-hmm. to being urban is it's got about half of Lakeland in it, and you have um, a Democratic primary uh, where the front runner, the the apparent front runner, is Alan Cohn. He's a former broadcast investigative reporter, and he's run for Congress twice before. Mm-hmm. But this, di- and he lost. He was unsuccessful. He lost first to Dennis Ross back in 2014, and then he lost uh, to Scott Franklin in 2020. But the district, as it's been redrawn, 
is now probably more favorable to a Democrat than than it was hmm. in those two previous races. It is still not Democratic-leaning. It voted by about four or five points for uh, Donald Trump over Joe Biden. Uh, but it might be a good test of whether the abortion decision, the gun decision, will, will inspire enough Democratic voters to come out to give a Democrat a chance in that district. Well, that's in the general election, but now in the primary you have Obviously, you have, I guess, five Democrats, five Republicans. Are there any Republicans running who you might be considered a, say, a pro-choice moderate? Who is Laurel Lee, for example? She seems pretty conservative. Um, I don't know of anyone on the Republican side, and I haven't questioned them all about their about their positions on abortion. But I don't know of anyone on the Republican side who. Uh, the the closest might well be Jackie Toledo, a state house member from Tampa who's running in the primary. Um, but I haven't questioned her about her position on that and can't can't really answer it. One of the candidates on the Republican side, Kelly Stargell, has been a champion for new abortion restrictions during her time in the legislature. She's a state senator from Lakeland. And one thing I want to point out about that, that Kelly Stargell, somebody who's been a champion for stronger abortion restrictions. I feel like in a lot of this discussion, we talk about it being just about women, that, you know, women are the people who are all are pro-choice and, and, and they're not pro-life, whereas there are a lot of women who are anti-abortion, very opposed to abortion. They're, they're out there. Well, I cannot pretend to be an expert on the polling on the abortion issue, but I have read a little bit about it. What I've seen is on the general main overall question, it's sometimes referred to as the Gallup question, which basically asks, um, should abortion be legal in all, some, or no circumstances? Men and women are pretty close together on that, separated by, you know, in terms of how many are in favor and how many are opposed. There's not much difference between men and women on that general overall question. The difference is less than the error margin. When you get into greater specifics, more specific details, what sort of exemptions, under what circumstances, what restrictions should be able to apply, at that point, women start becoming a bit more pro-choice mm -hmm. than men, um, but not not by a huge margin, but by a statistically significant margin. So that's, and, and again, a person who has studied this issue might correct me on that. That's, that's what I've seen. So well, I know that certainly most people support uh, abortions uh, in the case of rape or incest. And this latest law that DeSantis signed does not offer those exemptions. So... Forced birth, you can be if you if you have been raped by your father, you can be forced to give birth to your sister. Well, as of a few years ago, um, and and really going back to the Roe versus Wade decision itself, most pro-life folks, most people who are opposed to abortion rights, conceded that. If abortion was banned or outlawed, there should be exemptions for rape, for incest, for that kind of situation. And now we add human trafficking into mm. that. But in the last four or five years, 
there's been a movement away from that. The, the pro-life, uh, anti-abortion rights folks have become a little bit harder line. And the argument that they make is simply that it's not the baby's fault if its father raped its mother. Uh, and that mm. argument apparently has been winning over a lot of the pro-life forces, and now the laws that you're seeing passed, many of them don't include exemptions for that, including the one in Florida. Uh, if you're just tuning in, you're listening to Wavemakers with Janet and Tom. Our guest today is longtime political reporter William March, and we'll be right back. Hey, what's going down, family? It's your resident chef, Big Eddie G, inviting you to the Soul Kitchen. Me and my assistant chef, Mr. White Pepper David Bryant, serve up the best of R&B and soul music with a pinch of hip-hop and jazz and a dash of funk. So stop by Friday nights from 8 to 10 p.m. Bring your appetite, because the kitchen will show enough fill you up right. Here, only on 88.5 WMNF. And we're back. Um, this is uh, Janet Sherberger um, with my co-host Tom Sherberger calling from his COVID isolation sickbed. And in the studio with us is longtime political reporter William March. And we're talking about... For the record, I am standing up. <laughs> you know, I'm not actually in bed. I actually have not had very severe symptoms, more like a head cold. I just keep testing positive and I can't come into the studio until I test negative. That's right. If you want to join our conversation, you can give us a call at 813-239-9663 or send us an email at dj at wmnf.org. So we're talking about the high, high stakes of these midterm elections. Um, and we just talked about the new district, uh, District 15, that is, has a very crowded Republican field, also a fairly crowded Democratic field, but not nearly as many um, big names. And Wendy has said that that seat could go either way, maybe, although hard to say. I guess it will depend on the name recognition there. But let's go over to the seat in St. Pete that Charlie Crist formerly had um, uh, and that was being uh, – who has – oh, the Charlie Crist, yeah, had that before. He holds it now. So um, let's talk a little bit about that seat and what might happen there and how was that affected by redistricting. Is that an example of, of the Republicans drawing a seat to favor them and, and get a Republican out? Absolutely. What happened in the map that... I'm sorry, get a Democrat out. That's Right. Okay. Uh, But specifically, it's the result of DeSantis redrawing that and the legislature going along with it. Exactly. The The um, they drew originally was uh, much less gerrymandered. Right. That's exactly what happened. Um, The DeSantis map took some of the Democratic voting areas out of that district, and those are basically some of the urban downtown and South St. Petersburg areas um, that are heavily Democratic voting, took them out of that district and put them into Kathy Castor's district. So her district now includes Tampa and part of St. Petersburg. Now, that didn't cost the Republicans anything because Castor's district already was strongly Democratic-leaning, they just made it much more strongly Democratic-leaning. But meanwhile, it republicanized the Charlie Chris district, District, um, district 13. Uh, in that district, you have a crowd of Republican candidates um, uh, and really uh, one prominent Democrat, Eric Lynn. A couple of prominent Democrats dropped out of that race uh, after the 
district lines were passed right. because they they saw it as as unachievable, or at least in the case of of one Ben Diamond, the district lines no longer included his house, so he <laughs> didn't live in the district anymore. Because um, that won't stop a Republican from running, probably. But. <laughs> well, I the um, I think. I think it is true that most of the candidates in the yeah. district we were talking about a little bit ago, the East Hillsborough district, most of the candidates don't live in that district. Right. But you don't have to. All you have to do is live in the same state. And most of them are saying that, that they'll move into the district either before the election or if they win. Um, but getting back to the Charlie Crist district in St. Petersburg, um, after taking out the Democratic South St. Pete areas, they added in Republican northern Pinellas areas to make that a Republican-leaning district. Um, and I think um, it, that it leans Republican by about four or five points, just like the East Hillsborough District does. So then the question there is, what kind of Republican are we going to get? Are we going to get a Lynn Cheney Republican or a Matt Gates Republican in that seat? Well, there are some of each running. The um, uh, one of the candidates um, who would certainly characterize herself as the front runner, though it's unclear whether anybody else should, is Anna Paulina Luna, um, who is a Trump endorsee uh, and uh, basically a, a very enthusiastic Trump supporter. Another is Amanda Maki, who competes with with Luna. Uh, and proclaiming her devotion to Donald Trump, but did not get Trump's endorsement, mm-hmm. uh, Paulina Luna did. Then there's one other candidate, Kevin Hazlett, uh, who is, seems to be getting more support from the established Republican base, and he's a comparatively late filer, uh, but could turn into a fairly strong candidate. So you have, you have there at least three pretty strong uh, Republican candidates, um, uh, and all of them really proclaim their devotion to Donald Trump, but Luna is the one who has Trump's backing. And interesting that that's, that is a, an advantage to folks. Um, we've got a, um, an email from Jane Gibbons who asks, what do you think, to, why do you, for you, Wendy, why do you think DeSantis didn't pull a, quote, trigger law and ban abortion completely like so many states did? Um, well... I can't really answer that. Hi, Jane, by the way, uh, if you're listening. I'm sure you are. Um, I can't really answer that. The, um, uh, he doesn't want to do it now, uh, not in a special session, not this close to the election. Um, but my guess would only be that, that he probably thought a trigger law would be even more controversial, even more difficult to get through the legislature than the 15-week ban was. Some Republicans might have peeled off um, of course, the trigger law also uh, would probably have less chance of withstanding a test under the Florida Constitution, which allows, uh, has been held to allow abortion under its right to privacy clause. Um, now, that was under a previous Supreme Court, which is now controlled by the Spanish appointees, so I can't believe that they would take the same approach. Well, that's, uh, that is the question. Will the new Florida Supreme Court apply that same interpretation that's been applied in the past? There is, lots of people say, a strong chance that they won't. Um, but as to exactly why DeSantis didn't go all the way for a trigger law or a ban, 
I don't really know. I can't answer that. Again, my best guess would be something along the lines that he didn't want something like that going into effect immediately before his re-election. Well, I mean, and let's face it, he he barely won his election in um, 2018 um, and against a, a highly, highly flawed <laughs> Democratic candidate. So um, he needs to kind of toe that line, I think. Um, we've got a phone call, um, someone on the line. We've got um, Jack in Dover who's on the line. Um Jack, um, what's on your mind? Hi, thank you for taking my phone. Well, um, I originally was from St. Louis before I moved to Florida, and um, I seem to remember that people that were guilty of uh, rape or incest rapes, uh, that it was considered a, a mental health crime, and that people were being sentenced to mental health institutes, and it was a life sentence. It turned out to be a life sentence. I was wondering... Um, if you all could make a comment on uh, the criminal aspects of, of rape and incest um, as it applies to there no longer being an exemption uh, as far as the abortion is, is concerned. Well, I mean, I would think in those cases the, the person who committed those crimes, would is, they're still illegal. They can't do that. It's just that then the woman, if they get pregnant, has to bear the baby. That is, that is what the atrocity is. Um, but it's not saying that there's an exemption for those crimes. Um, no, the... Um, thanks the, for the call, Jack. The abortion restrictions... The abortion restrictions don't change anything about the criminality of rape or incest. Yeah. Um, so let's, we're, we're talking a little about DeSantis, so let's talk about the governor's race a little bit um, and how he's, DeSantis is reacting. Do you, um, can you handicap that at all, Wendy? I think there's some, a poll that came out recently that indicated that um, Charlie Crist could potentially beat DeSantis. Charlie's, Charlie Crist has, his campaign has been publicizing polls that show him close to within the margin of error, or I think in one case even a point of ahead of DeSantis. Um, that's not the general consensus of, of all polling. Uh, what I look for when I look at polls is I look at, at, at uh, measurements and websites that aggregate the results of polls. You're less likely to get fooled by an outlying poll um, uh, or by a flawed poll if you do that. Uh, I still think DeSantis is easily the front runner in the race. Uh, this, the abortion decision and the gun decision, as we've said, might add some momentum to Charlie Crist, um, but uh, I, that's, that's not enough to make me say he's the front runner. DeSantis' problem, though, is not just that he wants to win, but as you mentioned a minute ago, he wants to win by a convincing margin. He beat Andrew Gillum, who was, as you said, a flawed candidate, was under an FBI investigation at the time of the campaign. He beat Andrew Gillum by less than a percentage point. Mm -hmm. Now, in order for him to, to really be able to boost his ambitions to run for president in 2024, which is what he's pretty obviously aiming at, he has to win by a better margin than that in Florida to convince Republican voters nationwide that he's their guy for president in 2024. So he doesn't want to just win. He just doesn't, he doesn't want to just edge by. He wants something like a landslide mm -hmm. uh, in Florida. Uh, and he has a mountain of money to yeah. try to, to try to pay for that. He's well over a hundred million dollars, um, uh, that he's raised in that race. Uh, I, I don't know the exact figures, but it's, 
an order of magnitude greater than both his two Democratic opponents, Charlie Crist and Nikki Freed, combined. We've got Mike in Sarasota who's calling in. He wants to talk about um, DeSantis and um, his uh, run against Andrew Gillum. Mike, you're on the line. What's on your mind? Hi. To that comment about how the race with uh, DeSantis and Gillum involved a very highly flawed Gillum, uh, the story that I hear about that is that there are a number of established, which you might call establishment Democratic candidates, and that, and late in the race, a number of out-of-state progressive donors came and funded Gillum. And because Gillum stood out as the most, uh, as very progressive against the rest of them, he was able to win that primary. I was going to ask your, your, your guest to comment on what a huge mistake that was for the Democrats to allow that to happen, because it gave us DeSantis, and they give us DeSantis for another four years. Well, there are plenty of establishment Democrats who now say that if Gwen Graham had won the nomination instead of Andrew Gillum, she was, of course, his main competitor for Mm -hmm. that, that we would have Governor Graham now rather than Governor DeSantis. That's at best speculation. Um, I would tend myself to think that's probably true, but I sure as heck can't prove it. it's entirely possible that Gwen Graham could have overcome DeSantis, or it's entirely possible that the the Trump momentum that was behind DeSantis would have boosted him against any other candidate. And one thing that you will notice if you look at the results of that race, Andrew Gillum outran most other Democrats on the statewide ballot and statewide races partly because he excited uh, African-American voters Mm -hmm. who turned out heavily. And and progressives, yeah. And the progressive, yes. The Bernie bros. But yeah, there there definitely was progressive money coming in uh, behind Gillum in that primary. And I will never forget talking to a number of of what I would call progressive Florida donors, not just out-of-state donors, but progressive Florida-based donors who viewed Gillum as... Florida's Barack Obama. I want to read an, a really quick a text message we got from Jerome. It's on a conversation we were having earlier, and then we'll get back to talking about DeSantis. Um, he says, I suspect the people who voted for the Republicans appreciate the fact that Gorsuch and Kavanaugh lied to get their agenda passed. So, um, Jerome, you're probably not wrong about that. But let's talk more about DeSantis and his ambitions for 2024. And here's a question. What is better for the Democrats in 2024, a DeSantis run for president or a Trump run for president? And I'm interested in um, you out there. Give us a call, 813-239-9663, or send, send us an email and let us know. What do you think? What's better for the Democrats, a, a Trump run or a DeSantis run um, in 2024? And... Um, who can the Democrats run? Is is Biden the right candidate? Is that who um, can take on either Trump or DeSantis? Um, what do you think, Wendy? What's better for the Democrats, um, Trump or DeSantis, in 2024? Well, I think if you're a Democrat, unquestionably the best Republican candidate is the one who's lost before. Uh, lost rather, <laughs> Twice, actually, by the general <laughs> Lost rather vote. convincingly uh, in 2020 and, and what close to what you might call a landslide, uh, who has alienated uh, a lot of, uh, a, a lot of the, the country, a lot of various de- demographic segments of the country. Um, uh, DeSantis hasn't done that. DeSantis is viewed as sort of the new, fresh 
the smarter, less childish right. version of Donald Trump. Oh, the, the, the New Yorker described clothes. him as less Barnum-esque. <laughs> Which right. I thought was great. <laughs> Less Barnum-esque, yeah. So, I, I mean, I think there's no question. Democrats, you know, should, if if you're a Democrat, say a little prayer for Donald Trump. Well, I, I can't believe how many um, folks that I have talked to who have said that They've moved. They love Ron DeSantis. They love the way Ron DeSantis handled the pandemic. I've talked to um, two recently service workers who moved to Florida because of DeSantis and because he kept the state. They perceive him as keeping the state open during the um, uh, coronavirus pandemic. One of them moved from California. Was told told us that he was not vaccinated. Um, and then when I was in Nashville, t- talking to a an African American woman working in a in a, um, a hot chicken shop, saying uh, I, we told her we were from Florida, and she immediately said, "Oh, Ron DeSantis. He's going to be. I like him. He's great. I like the way he he kept the state open. So he kept the Open. She kept the schools open. Yeah. So when no, when by the time that comes around, what are people going to remember? You know, um, are they going to remember the Roe decision? Or are they going to remember um, DeSantis um, and his policies? He's got a national platform now, which is, you know, remarkable. DeSantis but, must be secretly hoping that the January sixth hearings lead right. to uh, criminal charges against. Donald Trump, because otherwise, I don't. I don't see anything stopping him. Well, going to run. Um, Donald Trump and Ron DeSantis are both showing all the signs of running in 2024. Now, there has recently been an undercurrent of of national level Republicans, major donors, uh, major party activists. Uh, beginning to express frustration and fatigue with Trump, Trump fatigue, if you mm-hmm. will. Um, they want to get back to some sort of normalcy, uh, some sort of uh, in, in their, in their um, public image as a political party and in the candidate that they, that they back. The question is, how extensive is that and how far will it go? Um, the Trump base is made up of people who are, it's, you know, been a cliche for years now to say that they're absolutely invulnerable uh, to anything, to convincing or persuasion or, or anything that would attempt to drive them off of their candidate, yep. off of Donald Trump. We've got Steve from Tampa on the line. He wants to talk about um, Trump v. DeSantis, DeSantis in 2024. Steve, you're on the line. What's on your mind? Hi, I just wanted to chime in. Um, you know, I am neither a Democrat nor a Republican. I've voted in both directions throughout my life. I'm 67. If I were, you know, I think the Democrats would be much, much better off if Trump ran. Uh, Mr. DeSantis, who I would not vote for, want to make that clear, notwithstanding the fact that I wouldn't vote for him, he's very, very intelligent. I think that he actually fits the mold that the Republican Party uh, you know, uh, tries to highlight in terms of family values, Christian values, that sort of thing. Donald Trump, of course, is the poster child. I mean, it's national lampoon land with in terms of family <laughs> values, you know, churches. Um, but it's, you know, it's, uh, you know, we'll see. I think DeSantis has been very careful, and he made the right guesses 
with everybody's lives uh, during COVID. Right. Uh, in, okay, in terms of keeping, I mean, everybody wants to have schools open, for gosh sakes. I mean, we want to have the grocery store. Of course we do. And so now he looks like a hero. Last time I checked, he doesn't have a Ph.D. in virology or medicine or, or anything. But he's a very smart guy. And I think he's principled, and I think he checks all the boxes that Donald Trump essentially, I mean, he, Donald Trump just you know, shot an AK, whatever, you know, through all those boxes. He's, you know, he's Donald Trump, and I'll leave it at that. Well, uh, I do Steve, I have a question for you, though. Do you, what do you think about um, a Democratic candidate in 2024? Is, is Joe Biden, you think, the best option for the Democrats? It's extraordinarily tough. I mean, again, I'm 67, and so, you know, I've watched Biden for years and years and years. Uh, I have, uh, personally, I have a great deal of respect. You know, I would almost say, don't hear this the wrong way, I'm not a creep. I mean, i got a major crush on Ms. Harris. I mean, I think that she is... No, really, I mean, I think that she's... I think she is exactly what the progressive left needs. Uh, And maybe you need outliers like OAC, you know, to sort of provide cover for what uh, the vice president would like to do, but is, you know, is concerned politically about coming right. So, you know, we need all of these things. Uh, I'm quite sure... I mean, I can imagine now what we will hear from Sean and Tucker about, uh, you know, Kamala Harris, um, you know, the, you know, Biden's old, blah, blah, blah. Hey, look, he's been flubbing carefully prepared lines since he was in his mid-30s, right? <laughs> and, uh, all right. So, I mean, so any, you know, all the armchair you know, experts who think they can, get you know, get a nail his cognitive abilities, you know, they ought to get a checkup themselves because in close, you know, he has decades of experience on a world stage. He actually understands, he knows what the major cities are in China. Let's give Donald a simple geography lesson, okay? And like, you know, get a sense of what he knows about the world beyond New York, which he abandoned, you know, he came down to Florida, just like OJ. But this isn't about bashing Trump. Um, I'm concerned. I wish the Democrats had somebody like a 45-year-old Joe Biden. Yeah. But they don't. Okay. And so... What about Gavin Newsom uh, in California? I'm sorry? Gavin Gavin Newsom. In California, the governor there. I like like, like Gavin Newsom a lot. I like Pete B. I won't try to pronounce his last name. I've never been able to do it. I like him a lot. But almost anyone in in my view, in, you know, in what the, the Democrats might point up, we used to call it in the law, we call it the one-ding rule, okay? You've got people that are qualified, they're principled, you know, they're not, uh, in, you know, they're not, uh, they're not serial felons like some of our politicians, but they've got one thing. They either did, you know, whatever, and, and that will be harped on, you know, in the media, the you know, listen to Fox News. I watch Fox News for an hour and a half or two hours a day. Yep. Um, you know, you got to pay attention to it because, as Che Guevara said, I envy you people of North America. If you live in the belly of the beast, make sure you tune in yep. to Fox News. Know thine enemy. Yeah. you got to know what they're saying. Thanks for the call, Steve. I, we're, uh, we're running out of time, so I want to take one more call. Oh, no, I'm sorry. I, I yapped too much. No, I asked you to yap. You were great. Thanks for calling. We appreciate it. Um, this is now Stephen in St. Pete. Stephen in St. Pete, um, you're on the line. What's on your mind? 
No, I just wanted to make a comment. I just caught the end of the show and everything. I've been down in the state of Florida for 40 years, and the Democratic Party down here has done nothing. Done nothing to get rid of right to work. Done nothing for wages to go up. Has done nothing to expand health care. And all I can say is when Obama took power in 2008, they had control of the government, did nothing except pass the Unaffordable Care Act, which is basically for middle-class people that are in bad health. Nobody could afford it. We need a president. And then Joe Biden, of all people, who in my book is the most conservative president since Ronald Reagan, is going to do nothing uh, about the problems that are facing not only people in the state of Florida. So nothing has been done really since LBJ was president. So my point is like this. With DeSantis running, you're going to vote for Charlie Crist, the lesser of a Republican who's really a Republican against a right wing. And yep. so my, the last thing I'd say is like this. The Democratic Party today is the party of Ronald Reagan. The Republican Party is the party of Jefferson Davis. <laughs> <laughs> right wing parties that agree on everything, except they have some identity differences and they put a show on big time. Rushing, Ooh, you bad. We good. But at parties, they're laughing. People are hurting especially in the state of Florida. But the biggest thing Florida has to do is get rid of right to work and raise the wages in the state of Florida, expand Medicaid and Medicare in the state of Florida. That's what people desperately right. need in the state because they're dying. So I just wanted to share that today. Thanks, Stephen. Thanks for the call. We've got, I'm going to read one more email we got from um, Liz in Spring Hill. She says, and this speaks to what Wendy was saying, if DeSantis is defeated as governor, he will never be president because Republicans need Florida to win the presidency regardless of who their candidate is. They would abandon him. He may have kept our state open, but he is turning Florida into the fascist model for his presidency, the People's Republic of Florida. Um, I wonder if, um, you know, if you had... Would 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 um, Democrats could switch parties and vote for Trump in a primary and get him <laughs> as the candidate in twenty twenty four? That might be a, a strategy to Annette to uh, consider. Probably not. But um, all right, uh, Wendy. Thanks for being with us today. I enjoyed it. Coming to the end of our hour. Thanks Glad to, to be here. thanks to everybody who called in. Thanks to um, everyone who uh, sent us emails um, and commented. Thanks to Tom for being there from home. I'm on his his sick bed. Um, stay tuned for NPR News up next, followed by Harrison Nash. This is thanks, W. Everybody. This is WMNF Tampa. Uh-huh.